seats, we're going to get started. Um, how many of you have had, like, already, you've had an amazing small group, like, meeting? Anybody? Small group? Going good? Yeah? Yeah. You have, I just, just disclaimer, you have full permission to get excited here. You have absolute permission to scream and shout and say hallelujah. We are, many, most of us are Pentecostal bunch, so we, we like to show it. So we like to get excited and go, woo, we love you, Jesus. Amen? We're grateful for the Lord. We're grateful that, uh, we're just grateful to be here. We're grateful you guys are with us. Um, this is really a family. We, we really fight to create a family here. And, and, um, and, and we, we, we say a, a kingdom family, it's an it's a entity that unselfishly chooses for one another. And we have, we have like a, you know, it's, anyone can be friends. But it takes the Spirit of God to create a fellowship. Anyone can join a frat or a sorority, and you can be friends. You have to pay. I mean, you have to pay for those friends. And then they'll ask you to bring booze and all that. But in a fellowship where the presence of God resides... There's like, you could offend me, but actually it's not going to affect what we have because there, there's a greater, deeper love, you see? And that we, regardless of how I feel, we, we choose because we're a family, right? Years ago, um, I met a, a, a young guy. He was a student here, one of our, one of our first students. And um, we, quick, we quickly realized we did not have a whole lot of things in common. He joined my small group. But as time went on, the Holy Spirit started to really touch and impact his life like I've never seen before. And, and I'm telling you, his testimony and his story is basically the quintessential perfect Chi Alpha story of coming to college, meeting strange people that love Jesus, and they're kind of weird, and, and they hug you a lot, and you're kind of like, bro, what's, what, what's weird? Like, why do they hug so much? And, they, and, then, and then the guys are weird because they say, they say like, I love you, bro. And, and it's like, whoa, 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 chill, chill out, right? So we totally weirded him out. But then something beautiful happened. The Holy Spirit touched his life. And he became not just a follower of Jesus. He, came, he became a soldier for Jesus. And he went through college, and, and all, basically time went by, and we basically became best friends. What we originally did not have much in common, because you, Jesus has, has made us brothers. Okay, you see what I'm saying here? Some of you might not have any idea what I'm talking about, but you will have it if you fight for it. Okay? A real fellowship with one another, with brothers, with sisters, a real fellowship. And I'm so proud of this guy because he, he came through and he was a leader. He created small groups. And, and he ha, he's made some of the best small groups I've ever seen in, in, in my uh, tenure as a campus director. Absolutely amazing. I want you guys to give. He's going to give the word tonight. Okay? And it's going to be powerful. The Holy Spirit's going to speak. So I want you to get on your feet and welcome a Holy Spirit welcome to Edward Silva. Yeah. 
Hello, everybody. Is that my loud enough? Wonderful. Um, man, I can't even. I have so many stories that would embarrass Daniel. That would just. Yep, I could say it, but I'm choosing not to. Um, that's that's my story. <laughs> um, I remember walking into an apartment, call it apartment nine, and these guys were just like looking at me like weird. I was like, what do you guys want? You know, like I just, I, but, but we became friends through this just relationship. They wanted to pour into me and be my friend. That same night, um, they looked at me and they were like, hey, you want to go sailing tomorrow? And I was like, I don't know you. I'm here because someone invited me. And I'm like, what the heck? Why not? And I did. I decided to go with two of these guys, Daniel and I believe Brian, and we went sailing, and I had my first small group lesson on a sailboat. Quite an experience. And I can talk to you about that later if you guys meet me sometime. But tonight, I'm going to talk about God as a creator. Yeah. My name is, if you haven't heard, Edward Silva. And I've been walking with God for, for 2,486 days. Let's go! That's 355 weeks. That's 88 months. That's seven and a half years. That is my walk with God. Why did I start walking with God? It all started when I joined a small group. Isn't that funny? And it was the best thing that happened in my life. And I want you to grasp that joining a small group for the first time was something new for me too. At one point in my life. I'm a byproduct of faithfulness to Jesus. This ministry or family I love to call Chi Alpha is being obedient to the call of Jesus by making disciples and leading people to him. There's a lot of new faces here that I don't know, but I'd love to get to know you. I'd love to be friends with you. Meet me after Chi Alpha. I'd love to get to know you. This is our heart. It's, we're community. We're, we're about fellowship. And, and, and the body of Christ is a family. We should re replicate that. Yeah. Yeah. Tonight, I, can, I hope I can give you a better image of my life. I've been leading a small group since the fall of 2016. And the Lord's allowed me to meet some of the best of friends who have had the privilege of discipling. Some of these men are sitting in this room tonight doing exactly what God called me to do. Lost my train of thought. I did what everyone did in Chi Alpha. I became engulfed in this selfless and beautiful, wonderful family. Because of this decision... My life has never been the same. I truly believe God gives you the best of friends if you seek him because you will find him and you will find people trying to be like him in character. I hung out with guys and girls who spoke about God like he was a real person sitting in this room. They were so curious and had this sense of wonder about God. And my ideas of the Lord were so minuscule compared to the conversations I was engulfed in. I thought that Jesus was just a person who died, but suddenly Jesus was someone to be found. I read this scripture in Matthew, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find it. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And my life started to look like that. I began to search for this person everyone talked about, and he's everything they said. He's everything I desired in a heavenly father. These thoughts and conversations began because the culture of Chi Alpha was trying to be like Jesus. And in order to be like Jesus, we must first become learners. 
Through the course of seven years, wow, seven years makes me feel old. <laughs> but it's always healthy to look back and look at the, the humble beginnings of when you met Christ. When, you, when I met King Jesus. I am where I am today because faithful men allowed the creator of the, uni the universe to have a right in their life. Oof. In my small group, I was befriended and challenged. The challenge in my small group was what caused the growth and closeness of Jesus. I learned that Kaiapha was trying to do what they were trying to do on campus was something genuine and not something superficial. I hope that this same experience continues to many more students at this university to be introduced to the king of the universe, to know him in such a personal way. There was a switch in my life, and it was when I began, I began to discover more of who Jesus was, who he is in nature, and what he was like personally. There are so many aspects of the character of Jesus, like him being a father and a king, like we discussed last week. Tonight, I hope I can give you a clear image of the aspect of him as a creator. All throughout the Bible, we see our creator being all-knowing, all-present, and all-powerful. You see, the message of Christ can either be great news or it can be offense to someone. And I hope that tonight's message is good news to our hearts. As Daniel said last week, we're diving into a journey through the Psalms, and today we're going to Psalms 24. I'll give you some time to get there. This Psalm spoke to me several years ago while watching a sermon on YouTube by a man named Winky Pratney. Yeah. He's one of our favorites. We love him. He's still doing stuff. He's still discipling. He's an amazing man of God. Go check him out. You won't regret it. Psalms 24, 1 through 6. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the greatness of those who seek him, who seek the face of God, of the God of Jacob. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for tonight, Father. We thank you that we, we get to experience you, Lord, tonight, that we get to, to know more about you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, would your presence fill this room and we would get something from you, Jesus, that we would hear from your heart, Lord, what's close to you, Jesus. Would we, get, would we understand this, this aspect of you, Lord, as a creator and to understand it in its fullness. We thank you, Lord, for being good. And we thank you again, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God has done many works in my life. I've, had the, I've heard the audible voice of God. I've seen miracles happen to some of my best friends. I've gotten to go on overseas mission trips to see God's work globally. I've seen a fraction of what he's created on earth. But even that fraction that I've seen, my mind has been blown away. I was on an overseas mission trip and I had a very beautiful moment with the Lord. I would say it was a rich moment with the Lord. Not in monetary value, but value and gratitude. 
I was in Chile in this country that is cold when the valley is hot. Very hard to believe that, but I got on a plane in Houston, Texas when it was 100 degrees and I got off on a plane in Chile and it was 40 degrees. It was amazing, it was great. <laughs> um, I was sitting in the backyard of a missionary's house. Is there a photo up? Next one, yeah. This was my view. It's beautiful, right? Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it, it was great, yeah. I was eating Little Caesars and this was my view. Man, I felt rich. I felt like I had it all. You know, we, this was the Andes Mountains. These are world-renowned mountains where people ski them, hike them. They do incredible things. We saw horses, wild horses coming down that area and literally just wild horses. It was beautiful. It was just an amazing experience. We worked hard that day and that little Caesars really hit the spot. And, and it, was, it, was, it was just jaw-dropping because I had, you know, bread and cheese in my mouth and I was just you know, having a good time, and, and my thoughts, you know, yeah, good times, right, you know, my, my thoughts began to go to the Lord, and I just began to look at this place, and I was like, and it, and it made me wonder about God's creation on earth of this country, just imagining his finger just causing to create mountains, causing to create the seas, and just creating this beautiful place that was amazing and 40 degrees, yeah, it was wonderful. Oof. He prepared a place for us with thought and intention. I think about that. This picture doesn't do justice to what I was looking at. We live in the valley that is flat, and it's funny how that works. Every time I saw a valley in my classes, they did not look like where we live. Absolutely not. But going overseas and seeing God's creation made me grateful for what he's done. My first point tonight is about our creator being all-powerful. And just calling him creator answers a lot of questions pertaining to power. The word is omnipotence, all-powerful. The word omnipotent comes from omni meaning all and potent meaning power. As with the attributes of omniscience and omnipresence, it follows that. If God is infinite and if he is sovereign, which we know he is, he must be omnipotent. He has all the power all over the things in all ways. Who's, whose first time is it hearing this attribute of God? Any raise of hands? Was this the first time you heard omnipotence? Well, Job spoke of God's power in Job 42.2. I know that you can do all things and that no plan of yours can be thwarted. Job was acknowledging God's omnipotence in carrying out his plans. Moses, too, was reminded by God that he had all power to complete his purposes regarding the Israelites. The Lord answered Moses, is the Lord arm too short? You will now see whether or not what I, what I say will come true for you. This is in Numbers eleven twenty three. I will be pulling from a lot of scripture because there's no better way than to describe these aspects of God than bringing scripture to define them and to give you evidence and to go back and, and see them for yourselves. Go look at the qualities of God and his power and what he is and who he is. Now here is God's omnipotence seen more clearly than in creation. God said, let there be. And it was in Genesis 1, 3, 6, and 9. Man needs tools and materials to create. God simply spoke. 
And by the power of his word, everything was created from nothing. In Psalms 33, 6, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Their stereo hosts by the breath of his mouth. That's wonderful. God's power is also seen in the preservation of his creation. All life on earth would perish were it not for God's continual provision of everything we need for food, clothing, and shelter. All from renewable resources to sustained by his power as the preserver of man and beast in Psalms 36.6. The, the seas which cover most of the earth and over which are powerless would overwhelm us if God did not prescribe their limits. That's Job 38, 8 through 11. Give me one second. God's omnipotence extends to governments and leaders. We see that in Daniel 2, 21. As he restrains them or lets them go their way according to his plans and purposes, his power is unlimited in regard to Satan and his demons. Satan's attacks on Job was limited only to certain actions. He was restrained by God's unlimited power. We see this in Job 1, 12 and 2 and 6. Jesus reminded Pilate that he had no power over him unless it had been granted by him by God of all power. We see that in John 19. He says in so many ways that I am the Lord. I am the Lord. He's saying I am the boss. We don't make him the boss. He is the boss. Omnipotence, all-powerful, is something, a, a reference to God's sufficiency. What he is, is sufficient for us. On Mount Sinai in the wilderness, God sought to show his people that he was sufficient for them. His wisdom, unlimited power, and internal nature were enough for Israel. He fed them and provided water in a desert. What a God of power. He created us and desired to work with us. We see all through the Bible, his people choosing other things they feel are more powerful than the living God himself. Omnipotence leads us to omniscience. Now we're going to jump into the knowledge of God. Omniscience, omniscient, all-knowing. Alrighty. Jesus showed us that he was all-knowing by the life he lived. Even before his death, he prayed to the Father. We see this in John 26, 39, if you want to go there. And going a little farther, he fell on his face, praying, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus knew he was going to be arrested. He knew he was going to be crucified. He continues to show us his knowledge and his wisdom. And you would think that these Pharisees would have listened, but they were so stuck in their worship of legalism and tradition that they couldn't see the wisdom and authority that Jesus had. This aspect of Jesus shows us that he himself knows best, wouldn't you say? It says in Psalms 147.4, he determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Even the stars he's numbered, how much more do you think he knows? In Matthew 12.25, but Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Omniscience is defined as a state of having total knowledge, the quality of knowing everything. For God to be sovereign over his creation of all things, whether visible or invisible, he has to be all-knowing. 
His omniscience is not restricted to any one person in the Godhead. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are all by nature omniscient. God knows everything. We see this in 1 John 3.20. He knows not only the minutest details of our lives, but those of everything around us. For he mentions even knowing when a sparrow falls and when he loses or when when a person loses a single hair. Matthew 10, 29 through 30. Not only does God know everything that will occur until the end of history itself, but he also knows our very thoughts. Even before we speak forth, he knows our hearts from afar. He even saw us in the womb. We see this in Psalms 139. Solomon expresses this truly perfectly when he says, For you, you only know the hearts of all the children of mankind. Finally, there is nothing too hard for an omniscient God, and it is on the basis of our faith in such a God that we can rest secure in Him, knowing that His promises are never to fail us as long as we continue in Him. He, he, has, he has known us from eternity, even before creation. God knew you and me, where we would appear in the course of time and whom we would interact with. He even foresaw our sin and all of its ugliness and depravity. Yet, in love, he set his seal upon us and drew us to that love in Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. As we, as we examine what the scripture has to say about the extent of the knowledge of God, of, of several things become clear. First, God is a God of infinite knowledge. There is nothing that he does, it is not aware of. God is not like, a hu not like human beings in his knowledge. He cannot learn anything, does not need to be taught, and does not make any mistakes. That's right. That's right. Consequently, he is able to righteously judge humanity, for he knows the thought as well as the deed. His omniscience also allows him to predict the future. He knows everything that will happen before it occurs. There is a great security for the believer in the omniscience of God. He knows the need of each believer and he promises to meet those needs. All those who have put their trust in him are comforted by the thought of God's omniscience. And this brings me to the third point. Omnipresent. All present. The third aspect of Jesus is he's all present being everywhere. He's here tonight. I don't know if you felt the presence of God. He was here. He is here. Jesus spoke this in Luke 10, 18, and he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That is some intense words. To just imagine Jesus saying those words would, would have blown my mind. We see, in, we see in Nathaniel's life, God saw him right where he was. He said to the Pharisees something that infuriated them in John 8, 58. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I want to explain briefly what omnipresence is and then show what it means in human experience. That God is omnipresent is of course believed by all churches who believe in the Bible. I'm not introducing anything new. Omnipresence means that God is all present. God is close to, for that is what the word means. Close to, near to, here, everywhere. He is near to everything and everyone he is here. He is next to you, wherever you may be. And if you send up the furious question, oh God, where art thou? The answer comes back, I am where you are. I am here. I am next to you. I am close to everywhere. That's what the Bible says. 
There's reasons to this as well as the evidence of Scripture. If there were any borders of God, I want you to think about this. If there were any borders of God, if there were any place where God is not, then that place would mark the confines of the limits of God or the limits of God. And if God had limits, God could not be the infinite God. Some theologians call the infinitude of God his immensity, but that is not quite a big enough word. Immensity simply means that whatever you are talking about is hugely, vastly large, but infinitude means there isn't any way to, that God is large. Since he is infinite, then we can only say that God has no size at all. You cannot measure God in any direction. God is infinite and perfect. God is equally near to all parts of his universe. God being infinite does not dwell in space. He swallows up all space. Scripture says, do not I feel heaven and earth? Jeremiah 23, 24. And that sounds if God were contained in heaven and earth, but actually he fills heaven and earth just as an ocean falls into a bucket. Sorry, a bucket falls into an ocean. Yes, the bucket is full of water, but yet the water is still surrounding the bucket. Yeah. The heaven of heavens cannot contain him. God is not contained. God contains and there's a difference. For in him we live and move and have our being. We see this in Acts 17, 28. Sorry, my mouth gets really dry. Everyone doing all right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah these, are, these are wonderful things. We talked about God being close to us or about the problem of God being far away. We don't think right because we think geographically or astronomically, we think in light years or meters or inches or miles or leagues. We're thinking of him in dwelling in space, which he does not. Rather, he contains space, and that space is in God. There's never a problem about God being anywhere, for the fact is, as the text say, God is everywhere. Yeah. These three aspects of God show us that he is a good God. He knows what's best for us. He's the most qualified to run our lives. And him being omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent proves that. We act like we know what's best for our minds, but yet our, our minds are finite with selfishness all over it. Jesus longs for us to see him in the fullness he deserves. We look back in history and see the early reformers, the men, that paved, the men and women that paved the way for the first and second great awakening. They lived lives that was exemplified that they had a creator. They preached like it. They lived lifestyles like it because the Lord had a right in their life. There was life pouring out of them because they trusted Jesus as someone who had a right in their life. We're here today because someone allowed Jesus to be their Lord. I'm grateful for that. They walked and preached like it. That's what blows my mind. That men knew what they were like because they lived lives that exemplified that. They preached it. Winky Pratney reminds us that God is God and we are not. And neither am I. You think you know that. But one day, when you catch yourself being omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, remember this. You're not him. We were never created to be God. Who but the Lord? Who but him? 
He's the most qualified. No one compares to his wisdom and value. We aren't some afterthought of God's day off when he created us. He holds value in his creation. It says in Matthew 6, 26, look at the birds. They do not plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And this is what's awesome. And, and aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Yeah. We have a God who desires to be our Lord. He is qualified. He is capable. And Psalms 24, 3 says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? No one compares to the Lord. I'm very grateful for this family. I'm very grateful for what Kyle has done in my life. Because I got to see people that really walked with Jesus. I got to experience it. And I was a non-believer who had no idea about God. All I knew of him was a person who was on a cross, still dead. But my life changed because I got to experience people that had, a, that, that had God had a right on them. And it changed my mind. It made me look at my life. How much more do you think that this university could change if we lived lives like we had a, that God had a right on them? We hope that we can reach this campus that students would know him. And I think it starts off with that walk with God where we're not thinking that we're omniscient or omnipotent or omnipresent because we're not. We're finite human beings. And he is an infinite God who is powerful, all-knowing, and all-present. The Lord's done incredible things in my life and I'm just very grateful that, that I get to pour into people what God is pouring into me. Because I can say that the Lord has a right in my life. He has all my rights. You know, I've given them to him because I truly believe that he is qualified and he knows best. You know? And even being around friends that love God, that's awesome. Because that's what small group is. Small group is a place where you could come to and have fellowship and community with, with brothers and sisters that aren't thinking about you in a selfish way. They're actually thinking about you in the most godly way. You know, I've had friends give up shirts off their back. I've had friends spend six hours with me in the hot sun fixing cars without any kind of demand or anything in return. You know, I've, had, I've had friends come and pick me up from far locations. I've literally called someone, hey, I need to go to San Antonio tomorrow at eight in the morning. You down? And this is like at six in the morning, or sorry, two in the morning. I'm like, hey, let's go. And he's like, all right, I got you. Like, and, and he wasn't saying, hey, can you give me gas money? Or, hey, can you do this? No, like, like people that have a right on their life, they live lives for Jesus. And through that, that's why we make disciples. The band can return. Some of you may feel distant from God. Maybe you haven't felt his presence in a while. He's here. He's everywhere. When you drive home, he's with you. When your head hits the pillow, he's present. We have a God who has the answers to questions we have. Why go to someone else who doesn't know as much as he does? His very fingerprint is upon creation, and that includes all the knowledge that comes with that. Why would you go to someone who's never been where he's been? He's everywhere.
Why would you go to someone with finite power when we have an infinite God who deserves to have a right in our lives? What a God who so longs to be in a relationship with his creation. There's no one like him. You know, a lot of people ask me, what's the Bible about? What's the Bible about? And that's a hard question. Not that I can't answer that, but that I, I wish I had an hour or two with you to talk about this person that I know so personally and intimately. But I, I can give you simple answers like love, you know, a family. But I believe the Bible is about God's broken heart over his ruptured relationship with man. A father who longs to be with his creation. A father who desires so desperately to know his people personally. Yet we run, we hide, we think we know it all, but we really don't. What I'm trying to say is, Jesus has a right in your life. He really does. He's a creator. And that right is in his value. You see, because he's qualified, because he's equipped, that's why he has a right. You know? He, his right is founded upon on who he is, not on what he's done. He's done a beautiful thing for us. He's died for us on the cross. But he has a right on my life because of who he is. He has all my rights. Because I believe he's qualified to run my life. There's no one smarter. There's no one more powerful. There's no one more present. He's always with me. I hear all these old stories of missionaries that are beautiful men of God, men and women of God. And I love it when, when their autobiographies always talk about them waking up and them saying, Good morning, Holy Spirit. Because they live lives where they, they literally had fellowship with God. They dwelled with the Holy Spirit. This reality of God being the rightful person in your life, it becomes more real when you start walking with Him, when you get closer to Him. Because when I started walking with Jesus, I didn't want to give up my rights to Him. I really didn't. I loved living my life. I, I enjoyed it. But deep down, I, 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 felt, I felt wicked, you know, because I knew that I was being selfish. I knew that my life was still mine. But as I walked with God, slowly, I would give Him rights away. Lord, you deserve this. You deserve this. You deserve my time. You deserve who I date. You deserve even just my, my career. Because if it wasn't for Him to allow me to be where I am today, I wouldn't have those things. I wouldn't. I'm not going to convince myself that, that I did this all by myself, just like Jesus told Pilate. If it wasn't for the Father. I want to end with a question. And I, want, I hope that you can think about this later throughout the week, tonight, while you're driving home, jamming out to music. What do you think the highest good is for you? Do you think it's a career? Do you think it's living in the world, being engulfed in the world for what it offers? 
Or do you believe that Jesus is the highest good in your life? He's worthy. He's worthy of it all. He's not only made us, He created us, and He also bought us. He paid with His blood. Isn't He worthy? He's worthy of it all. Jesus. And if you do feel like you want to get saved and you want to give your life to the Lord, the altar is still open. 